hole was a lumberjack up in the northwest many years ago, rough country. And one of his responsibilities was to go into town, a little, little village nearby, horse and wagon, and get supplies for the next few weeks. He'd go to the mercantile place and to the grocery store and various places. <coughs> Something was different, however, on this particular day that he made his way into town. It looked like they sort of rolled up the sidewalks, literally in those days. And he was concerned. He began to ask around. He said, well, we're having our time of revival. So all of the uh, retail businesses are shutting down so their employees can go and attend the revivals. He inquired, uh, does that include the saloon? <coughs> yes, that includes the saloon. He was expecting to uh, he asked about the brothel, even the brothel took place. The brothel was supposed to, and the ladies were invited to come, some of them will attend the services. Well, he was kind of worried about that, but when he finished loading up his wagon, it was beginning to get dark. He began, what, what am I going to do? Everything I would enjoy is shut down for the evenings. Well, I'm going to the church where everybody else is and at least uh, kill some time. So he went to the church, to the revival. The preacher preached the gospel for him to hear. And he began to stir some, some memories. He remembered his grandmother reading Bible stories to him when he was just a little bit guy. When they were singing songs, he found that some of those were familiar to him as well. Something <coughs> struck him in his heart. And when the preacher finished preaching the gospel, he gave an invitation for people to come forward and give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. He was surprised to find himself walking down the aisle, kneeling at the altar, and doing as the preacher had suggested. He life to Jesus Christ and accepted that forgiveness of his sins and the new birth, the new being born again experience was his. And when people saw that happening, they were just overjoyed. After the service was over, they went up to him and, and shook his hand and hugged him and told him how happy they were to have him there for the commitment that he had made. And, and everything was, was just wonderful. And it was for him. The next morning, he got up, hitched up his horses to the wagon, and off he went back to the, to the lumber camp with a lumberjack. And the people began to be worried. You know, I'm kind of worried about the boat. You going to get back there with those rough guys, profanity and nasty stories and so forth. And I'm worried about What's going to happen to him when he, they know he's made a commitment like this? So I said, let's pray for him. So every Sunday, they would pray. And every Wednesday night at prayer meeting, they would pray for both. And he would find the strength and the blessing to, to have that experience, the strength, the character, with affirmation. And they prayed for him. Wonder, wonder, wonder how it's going with both. Well, the shepherds that we read about a moment ago, they had a tremendous experience 
the angels coming and telling them this good news. So they went and found the holy child that was assigned to them. And when they left, they went and told others about it. And others were amazed at what they heard. They had a, a message for them to, to hear and to share. And I want to talk about to us about this carol that we sang long ago. Go tell it on the mountain. This is what the, the shepherds did in the <coughs> song that we were singing a few moments ago. Over the hills and everywhere. Uh, they would have used the internet if they had it in those days. They would have been tweeting about the Jesus baby. Uh, and they had gotten on Facebook and all of those kinds of things. They didn't have to. That's what they, they just by word of mouth, they actually talked to each other in those days. And told what, what had happened, what the angels had said, and that they'd gone, what the angels had promised would be the case, was in fact the case, and, and so it was. So we're thinking today, well, this, this is a, a hymn about evangelism. This is a hymn about reaching out to other people and sharing the good news of our life with other people. And let's look at it in several ways. First, I want us to think together that the shepherds had a motivation to tell other people. There was something going on within them. They couldn't, couldn't keep it inside very well. They were having, uh, the angel said to them, this is good news of great joy. And they were, they were <coughs> joyous. When we are joyous about things, we want to we tell everybody about it. Some of you got a wonderful Christmas presents, perhaps, in the last few days, and you're going to bore other people silly when you're telling them about that wonderful Christmas present you received during that time. Uh, there are some grandparents here who had their new grandbabies recently, and they will bore us likewise with maybe adding a picture or two to the, to the scene. That's, that's the way we're made. When we have something good to happen to us, there is an inclination and desire to change. Uh, I find in the scriptures that there are a couple of things that fit into this. One is that there was a commission to go and tell other people. Now we have in the scripture what we call the Great Commission. Who knows what verse that is? It's what chapter, what book? Matthew, what chapter? 28, what verse? 18, thank you. And Jesus said to the disciples, after the resurrection, before his ascension, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've told you. So they had that commission. But you know, the, the New Testament has another commission. Probably not even thought of it in that term. But in the first chapter of Acts, Again, while Jesus is on earth after the resurrection before the ascension, he's talking to the disciples and he said, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until after the Holy Spirit falls upon you. And after you receive that power, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was the town, Tennessee, and Judea, which was the surrounding territory, the state of Georgia or whatever it may be, and uh, the Samaritans, Samaria, don't forget them. You know, there was a rift between them. But they were going to cross cultural barrels and tell the, and tell the news, the good news. And he said, and then to the ends of the age. It's, this was the second commissioning of the disciple 
to turn it. And he said it in such a way that this is going to be the natural thing. This is going to be sort of an automatic experience of yours because of what you have shared and are blessed with. So it will be with us. So that was a commission. But also that was a compulsion. If you go further in the book of Acts, you'll find that on one occasion, <coughs> Peter and John were arrested by the Sanhedrin, which was the municipal authority of the of Israelites at that time. Because they had killed someone who was crippled, and they had given glory to God, to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the power that behind this, giving this man new life and ability to walk. And they examined them. They didn't like what they heard, so they warned them. They said, we're, we're going to turn you loose, but we want you to stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And the disciples said in, in return, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were raring to go and tell it on the mountain. They had seen that experience in their own life and they could not share it. They couldn't keep it quiet any longer. So if we are to be like those shepherds telling it on the mountain, We'll need to recognize that we are commissioned, we are commanded by Jesus Christ to go and share that with other people. You can't, can't keep it selfishly to yourself. You've got to share it. And then there is also the compulsion. You be, you be the judge, they said. We can't help but speaking what we have seen and heard. And what is it they were speaking? They had a message. They not only had a motivation, but they had a message. They really had something to tell. They were there to tell that the Jews, who had been along with everybody else in Palestine, been waiting for the Messiah to come. It had been 400 years since a prophet had, had preached in the name of God. Here's this saith the Lord. And there was that, that Old Testament prophecy of the great... King David figure was going to come again and to save Israel and to save their nation. They were looking forward to that. They had found it. They had heard about it. They had been told that this, this Savior, this promised one, this Messiah that uh, the Scriptures had talked about, He's coming. He's here. We saw Him. He's just a little baby at this point. But He's here. The angels told us and it told us that it was so. Three things they said. He's a Savior, He's Christ, and He is the Lord. He is the one who brings to us salvation. And not just to, to us Jews, but it's for everybody, for all people, the angels said. For every uh, tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue on the face of the earth. Someone has said evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar whether it's food. When we have something so wonderful to, to share, we cannot keep it to ourselves. We share it with others. There's a great message of salvation of what that difference it makes in our lives. And then, not only do we have a motivation and a message to share, good news to share, we also have to have a, a method or a manner in which we do it. One way we do it is with our lips, isn't it? 
we talk about things that are important to us and that excite us and that is what makes us tick and what motivates us. So we, we share that with other people verbally, to other people that we know what God has done for us personally and share that with them. I remember Jay Harris used a phrase one time talking about our reaching out and how we share to other people. He said one way to do that is just start the conversation or interject into the conscious uh, conversation that my life changed when? And then you, you fill out the rest of that sentence. You know, maybe you say, well, I was, I was having uh, a real trouble with my self-image. I was, had low self-esteem. I didn't really think much about myself. But my life changed when? When I allowed Jesus to come into my heart. And I allowed Jesus to tell me who I was. And I no longer let other people tell me who I am. Jesus defines my life. Just one little example, one way of doing it, one way of interjecting into a conversation. Not only do we do it with our lips, but we do it with our lives as well. How we live. Our behavior, our attitudes, our spirit. What do we talk about most? What motivates us? What guides us in the expenditure of our, our money? The way we live our lives is a, is a way. Uh, I saw on the internet the, just the other day where there are some churches that are trying to help their people do evangelism. And one way they're doing that is, is they're using the mechanism uh, RAC, R-A-C-K. That is the Ransom Act of Christian Kindness. We've heard that Ransom Act of Kindness. They interject Christian in there because it has a motivation, it has a reason behind it. There's a purpose on it of doing, uh, providing somebody with the knowledge about what God is doing in your life. And you show that you care. You remember that famous clip from John Mathis, John A. Matheson, who said, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. In a random act of Christian kindness could be a way of showing a person, we care about you. You matter to us. You are important. And we want to reach out to you in that particular manner. And then there's a third one. Not only with our lips, talking about it, not only with our lives, by the way we live and behave, but that's another. That is our livelihood. That uh, income that is ours to, to dispense and to uh, give forth. Through our tithes, we do it through the church. We do, through our money, what we cannot do personally because we can't get to Africa. We can't get to India. We can't get to these places. So we can, with our livelihood, we can extend our influence far where our arms can reach. By what we give through the church and through the United Church, through the churches working together to present the gospel to other people. World evangelism. And in this method of this manner that we go forth, prayer is so central. It is so central. And that is we pray to God to, to lead us to a person. Pray to God to be burdened for the lost. To care 
to say it, it, it matters. People that I see in the uh, grocery store, they the uh, same person weekly uh, bags up your groceries and you come to know them by name. And, and then I got in an argument with one of them the other day. <laughs> she, was, she always takes her groceries on out to the car herself. And this lady wanted to do it because that's what she was there for. And then they said, no, I'll do it. They were tugging back and forth. <laughs> You, you need to say, have something good to say to them. Uh, but, but for God to lead us to persons to whom we can share a random act of Christian kindness. We pray for God to guide us, get the burden on our lives. We think of developing a relationship with the person that God puts on your heart and how you might reach them. Maybe it's a person who's who's going through some difficult time at the present time, which you may be aware or you may not, but may discover as you befriend them and as you share with them. You learn that that is the case. And to develop a relationship so that there's a, a relationship of trust there. Some people have used the mechanism friend, F-R-A-N, like a woman's name short for practice, I'm sure. That is to reach out to our friends, our relatives, our acquaintances, and our neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ. Someone has statistically turned that into an awareness that of the people who come to a particular church and come to faith, that about 75% of them will say that somebody in their friend network was responsible for that. Another study says that there are a lot of unchurched people say that, yes, they could foresee a time when they probably would be in the church. But nobody's asking. Nobody's saying that they're not. And so we go forth. Pray for that person. Maybe they're struggling with addiction. Jane Craven prayer a moment ago. Maybe it's the marriage is on the rocks. Maybe they've lost their job with the sorry economy that we have. And some people are afraid they're going to outlive their money. You can start small. It's okay to start small. You think, well, I, I don't have this great exciting experience that I can tell. Or I can't uh, verbalize what I feel, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a shy person, and I, I can't see myself doing that. It's okay to start small. I can invite somebody to a Sunday school class. Even Sunday school classes that meet when there is no Sunday school. Like several weeks this morning. They didn't take out work for it. They didn't take Sunday school. Inviting the guys to officials and men programs we have our steak suppers and so on. And remember that, that we're not alone. That we have the Spirit of God who is helping us and guiding us and, and taking care of things for us. We're not alone. You remember Paul wrote to the Corinthians about how he had planted Apollos as another evangelist 
water and God gave the increase. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not in this by myself. I'm not just doing it myself. God is working within me. In the book of Acts, we'll go back to chapter 2. The disciples were gathered, 120 of them in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and there was a excitement, there was joy, there was elation that was there, so much so that, as you recall, the people out in the community, when they came out and acted that way, thought they were drunk. They were so overjoyed, and the lady was what God had done in their lives that they had to share. And within just a matter of hours, those are 120 people, and giving them uh, witness, led the guidance by Peter in the message he preached. 3,000 said, I believe, and they were baptized. How great that was. God could do that. And I thought as I remembered that and prepared this message, that wouldn't it be wonderful if we had 120 people like they had in the upper room in Acts, who would say, I'm willing to allow God to use me as an instrument to reach at least one other person for Christ, one other person, in the year 2014. Just one person all year long. Do it in January and you're kind of relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't relax, would you? You'd be wanting God to use you to reach someone else. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had 120 people to say, I'm going to commit myself through prayer, surrender, through intentionality of a method or manner that can effectively reach other people, inviting that neighbor to Sunday school, visiting the family that's just moved down the street. We have a couple here just moved down the street here today. Which is bless you. Think about it. 120 people could do that. Could God possibly put that on your heart today? I'm not asking you to sign a card. I'm not asking you to stand up if you will. I'm just saying this. Just if you just pray about it. Say, God, is this, is this what you want me to do? And I want to make clear that, that we are not responsible for the outcome, but we are responsible for the endeavor. I'm asking you to endeavor to be an instrument for God to reach someone that is in particular relationship with you. Maybe a family member, maybe a neighbor, co-worker in the world, maybe parents of children that go to school with your child that you get in a conversation with him while you're waiting for the bell to ring. So many opportunities out there. They're just about slapping us on the face. They look, here's an opportunity. <laughs> here's another over here. Just be available. Make yourself available. And be endeavor in God's name to do that. To, to try it. To pray about it. To open yourself to the possibility and see what God might do. Well, while we were talking here, those folks back in the Northwest were praying for both. 
They worried about it. And sure enough, about the end of that time, during the month that he came to the portion wagon to get more supplies for the lumber camp. And they were eager to find out how it went. They sort of rushed him and rushed up to him and said, We're so worried about you. We, we know you're up there with those hard men and so forth. And we just wonder did, did they treat you badly? Did they make fun of you? Did they kid you? Did they, they uh, was there an aggravation for it? What? Tell us, tell us, did they sort of persecute you for it and so forth? And he smiled and said, No, because I never did tell them. They didn't know about it. <laughs> I never told them. <clears throat> they never found out. I remember a fellow found out that a co-worker was a tither to this church that was going through some financial things. He said, oh, you're a, you're a churchman, are you? He said, yeah, I go pay the money. He said, if I was. You know, I, I never thought of that. Ouch. He was a faithful church man, a generous man, but didn't live a life that had ever occurred to a co worker. And he went to church every Sunday. Some of us might say, well, I'm just not, I'm just not able to do this. I like the idea, but just, just can't do it. I'm going to tell you about a friend that I had following Her name was Charlotte McDaniel. She lived in a cottage with other young adults like herself as part of a ministry program that incidentally foreshadowed West Virginia that we have here in She loved God and she loved other people. She brought to commitment to Christ and to the church her friend Betty. <coughs> and then for long, she was walking down the aisle with Gail to stand by her as she joined. And then there was Maureen came with her one Sunday made her profession in the church. One afternoon, in those years that we were there at Albany First, no one person ever called and stood with one who was joining the church. No one surpassed Charlotte.
Thank you, Jesus, for saving us, for giving us a child, a simple little child, to show us the way to salvation. Enable us, O oh God, to be willing to be an instrument to hear other people. We'll go tell it on the mountain, we'll tell it on the internet, we'll tell it in the office, we'll tell it in the store, we'll tell it in the shop, we'll tell it in the uh, city club, we'll tell it all of these places so that people get, get, may get the message that you are our Savior. You are our Savior. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.